Welcome to another episode of Tall Hungry Girl Talks. Uh, this episode is especially important in light of the um, events in the country. Um, today we are talking about voting. This is really uh, an episode about a call to action. Um, voting is such an important part of the political process. And this, this episode is about educating people about voting. Um, because so many people are unaware of, you know, the electoral college and how important um, local elections are. Um, I just finished, you know, listening to a town hall with the Obama Foundation. And one of the things that um, President Obama was talking about is that right now there are a lot of protests going on. And he, you know, made mention that it is not policy or protest. It's policy and protest that protest pushes policy and you know voting pushes policy and so i think that we as you know just citizens of this country have to be engaged it civically and that is so important so we can have a seat at the table to discuss this with me i have katrina Kaliks. yes i said it right <laughs> She's silent, just looking at me. Yes, she did. <laughs> she is a business consultant and political enthusiast, enthusiast with experience working on political campaigns as well as in state and federal government. She started her career as an intern in the New Jersey State Assembly for now Congresswoman Bonnie Watson Coleman before moving to Washington, D.C., where she would later work in the US Senate for Joseph Lieberman and President Barack Obama's administration. In addition to her work in Washington, Katrina has also worked on election campaigns in New Jersey and Ohio. She is a graduate of Rutgers University with a bachelor's degree in political science and American University with master's in social enterprise. Katrina is also one of three co-hosts on a political podcast called Notes from an American Savage. It's available on iTunes, Google Play, and Libzen. I can never say that word. <laughs> um, take a moment to follow them on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Savage Notes. And I love the podcast. Um, I think I already told you that um, I was really interested in the ones that you guys were discussing, the, the vice president picks the potential picks for that so everyone take take a listen at, at their podcast it's it's entertaining and informative um but i was listening to it on my bike ride and getting a lot of laughs and 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 knowledge at the same time <laughs> so welcome hi hi thank you for having me i'm glad that you're entertained by us we entertain ourselves too <laughs> yes yes absolutely um so before we dive into the, the, the interview, um, so the last few weeks on social media, I have been providing my followers with history lessons. I talked about redlining, I've talked about the Social Security Act, and to my surprise, a lot of people have said, oh wow, I didn't know about this, Tahira. I think, you know, I have my own political views, but I felt like the best way to educate people maybe that didn't have the same political views as me um, is to provide them with history lessons. And so I'm going to do a quick history lesson of voting, which I think is important in setting the stage. So in the 1700s, only white male property owners could vote. 1920, women won the right to vote. 1960s, Southern states enacted barriers to voting such as literacy tests, poll taxes, 
English language requirements and more. And this was aimed at suppressing the vote amongst people of color, immigrants, and low-income populations. And it worked. It was, it was effective. Um, March 1965, act activists organized protest marches from Selma, Alabama to the state capital of Montgomery to spotlight the issue of black voting rights. And the first march was brutally attacked by police on a day that came to be known as Bloody Sunday. And on August 1965, in the wake of the marches on Selma, the Voting Rights Act of 1965 was signed into law. So activism leads to policy change and an example. Yes, so yes. yes. So with um, this was this was passed with the aim of eliminating legal barriers at the state and local levels that prevented African Americans from being able to vote. So um, with all of that background, I hope that that gave people, you know, a, a backdrop to the discussion today so they can they can be aware of how this has been a fight going back to the 1700s. So um, it seems like a lot of people have a lack of understanding of our political process, Katrina. Civic classes aren't always a part of high school curriculum. How do you think this contributes to voting rates? Um, for sure, it has an immense effect on voting rates. I know that, you know, I was lucky enough to go to a high school that had a well, I had a social studies teacher when I was maybe about a senior or junior who um, covered kind of like civics um, and the importance of voting. In fact, I don't know if it's legal or not, but like he gave us extra credit for registering to vote. Not he didn't tell us who to vote for or what to vote for, but, you know, as a competitive uh, honor student, I made sure I got my registration done, even though it's funny, I was 17. I graduated at 17, so I got it back that I couldn't even vote but i do think it's really important um i think it's really hard for people to conceptualize the world that they live in they don't really understand necessarily how the roads get paved or why their air is clean they just know that it's there um and government pays a huge role in how we live our lives and what types of things we have access to. And I think that civics teaches us that, right? Uh, they, it teaches us why we are constructed the way that we are, why government is the way that it is. Um, and once you learn about that, it makes you at least want to vote. I do think it makes you a little bit more um, engaged in what the process is. And it makes you feel a little less um, like kind of like a cog in the machine, right? Mm -hmm. um, at least that's what I felt. Um, and yeah, I think that without that, the country is very different and um, what people think about voting is very different, so. Yeah, yeah. I think too, like the, the national elections for me, I remember like, I think part of, I really got involved, I think, more in the political process in college. Shamefully, I did not vote when I turned, like, I, I think when I first could, I did not vote. Um, and, you know, I subsequently realized how important that was. But I didn't understand the electoral process. I had to do a lot of research. And sometimes I feel like I can't always get my mind wrapped around it. So... Um, do you think that this is part of the reason why some people don't vote? And can you talk more about what the hell the Electoral College is in the first place <laughs> for um, those who don't understand it? 
<laughs> Which is interesting because to me, like civics and history go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, when we think about our founding fathers and the Federalist Papers and things like that, they have like lots of literature out there that explains why they created what they created and how they created it. Um, and the Electoral College is kind of part of the system that they created. Um, so you get... Sorry, I'm trying to think of a simple way because I do know it's very complicated. So trust me, even as me, as someone who's been in the system for a long yes. time, like, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit difficult. So the Electoral College is based off population, right? Um, and landmass. So when it first started, it was, uh, that's why you have bigger states that have more um, votes. It's because when it was first started, it was all about landmass. And so the Electoral College is kind of like imbalanced in that way because you have places like Texas, um, Montana, and uh, well, Montana doesn't have too many votes. You had places that had lots of land that had a lot more say in um, the electoral process, right? And so that changed and it made it more based off of population. So you have places like um, California who has uh, one of the highest, if not the highest um, number of electoral votes is based off of their population. I don't know if most people know, but California's uh, economy and state is bigger than most of the world's uh, countries' GDPs. So like, um, they get a lot of electoral college. So it's not like some random number um, that has nothing to do with anything. Um, like, for example, I'm from New Jersey. It's a state that's been seeing a lot of um, migration outside of the state. And so recently we've lost a lot of seats. We've lost um, points in the electoral college. And we've also lost a representative in the House of Representatives. So um, the number of representatives you get in a state depend on the population, the number of votes you get in the electoral population, in the electoral college um, has to do with your population. It's not some like random number that comes out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And so they vote on behalf of their population, correct? Their delegates vote right. on, on right. behalf of their population. So that I think is what gets tricky is that, you know, you have the popular vote and then you have the electoral college. And so like, I think people were very confused with the, um, the election with um, President Trump and um, Secretary Clinton because she won the popular vote by, I think, about three million. And so right. people are like, OK, I think especially people in other countries, they're like, how I don't understand how this works. Right. And right. so delegates are representing their districts, essentially. Right. Correct. Right. So what happens is delegates are actually super, super local. Like a lot of people probably know who their delegate is because they're like kind of chosen um, locally. So like we have these primaries and in different states, the um, whoever wins the percentage of the primaries get a certain amount of elect, um, people in the college, gets a certain amount of delegates. Pardon my... Uh, tripping over my words. Um, That's gets okay. a delegates. And usually the delegates are people who are really active in their party or in their community. Um, and they get chosen, they get either elected by their local kind of like committee or area to become a delegate. And so you'll see, I mean, if you've ever been to a convention or you go to a convention, it's really just a hodgepodge of people who are active in the community. It's not some random, you know, 
conspiracy of like people who no one knows. A lot of the times they're very local people, maybe business owners, um, things like that. Um, and so those delegates um, go to the DNC and they, they vote in the electoral college. And oftentimes, sometimes they can change their minds, but that's very different from the popular vote, which is not, it, which is agnostic to location. So mm-hmm. um, you can have over 3 million votes, but they just happen to be in places that might have an overwhelm, like have more votes in the opposite direction, right? And so that county gets more delegates for the opposite party, um, but those delegates, um, but those but those popular votes, those votes that kind of came in, um, they may not get delegates, but they'd still get counted towards the popular votes. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that does make sense. So if your district or your county um, the majority goes for, say, you know, in this next election, they go for Biden. So those delegates would be voting right. for Biden. All of them or so, just right. some of them? It depends on the state. Some okay. states are all or nothing. And some states um, is like a percentage. And so... Um, see, that I did not know. See, we're right. learning from you. <laughs> Yeah, it really depends. Um, and, and this is why it's so important. I guess we'll talk about this later is why elections, local elections are really important. And what happens yeah. locally is really important because like that determines everything. Um, there's a saying in politics, all politics are local. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't matter where it is. It kind of starts local. And so in some states, like, for example, the reason why Iowa is so interesting is because the way they caucus is not an all or nothing. It's very percentage based. And so it really depends on you know, who votes where, but in other places it's all or nothing. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. Okay. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. that brings me to my next question. So I get into arguments all the time with people because I'm always telling people to register to vote. (laughs) I'm -hmm. like my one, one man band. Um, I don't know, political activist. (laughs) Um, and, but (laughs) some people they'll retort saying, well, my vote doesn't matter. Like I live in a state that's already red or already blue and, um, you know, they use the electoral college as an example, like it doesn't matter one more vote because that's not going to, you know, change anything. What would you say to that person to change their mind? I would say that that is grossly incorrect. And I come from what is considered a blue state. Um, I, I was born and raised in New Jersey and um, everyone knows you know, I tend to, I'm liberal too. I'm more conservative, but I'm liberal too. Everyone knows we had Chris Christie as a governor, which is like, how do you end up with a Chris Christie? And then like, we've had Democrats on both sides of him. So like, it doesn't mean a particular state is blue. And that is also not stationary. I mean, like, a few years ago, North Carolina wasn't considered a swing state. It was a solid red state. Um, we can think about what's happening in Arizona, where they hadn't had a statewide Democrat in forever. Um, and then they elected um, a, a, a Democratic senator. And so the idea that things aren't going to change because of your vote is not true, even if you're in a red or a blue state. Um, a lot of times it's where the, the vote is concentrated. Um, and you'd be surprised. And for other people who live in swing states, I've heard, I've heard that out of swing states too, who people are like, my vote doesn't count. And you think, and there are so many examples of elections that were lost by like seven hundred. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, just like a few hundred. Um, I think even last year in Kentucky, the governor's race, they, they alerted 
a Democratic governor, and he won by, I don't think it was more than 500. I remember hearing about that. And the guy fought it. Didn't the guy fight it? Yeah, they fought it. They tried yes. to get a recount, and the number actually grew. So it was like... <laughs> <laughs> didn't really work. Like, oops, that didn't plan out the way that I wanted to. Right, right. But it happened. Can we go back to the original the, numbers? <laughs> it happens all the time. And I do think that people are kind of jaded by seeing stuff on TV and seeing the big numbers. And they think that's not how it works. But like, it's it can be by a hair. And when you think of like losing a precinct or all the precincts by seven votes, that's like a family. Yeah, that's like, you know, that's like your cousin. Yeah, right. that's like <laughs> not a lot of people at all. And so if you if everyone can do what they can, where they're at, um, it can make a huge difference overall. I mean, it's oh. also what was. Yeah. So my one man band political activism might be paying off. That's <laughs> what you're saying. It's for sure. It's not my, it, it is for sure. You'd be surprised. You, you might look at your county or an area that you know a lot of people and you're like, wait a second, there are more people voting in this place. So you, you never know. It doesn't, it has, to me, it's never about um, who people vote for. It's just that you vote, that you feel a part of the process, that you um, care. Because yeah. I think everyone should care. Yeah. And two, I think when you you become part of the process and you integrate yourself part of the process, you're more aware of what's going on. And right. I think knowledge is always power. And then we don't, you know, get into these ignorant arguments with people that don't know anything. <laughs> right, right. I mean, because let me tell you, sometimes you go to vote like, and I and I'll be honest, sometimes when it comes to local elections, I wait a little bit longer to kind of um get to know who the candidates are. And then you start, you know, you do like a simple Google search and you're like, wait a second, this person wants to chop all the trees in town? No, I can't vote for him. Um, and then you start caring about these things because you're just like, wait a second, I didn't even know this was like a big deal. Like, yeah, yeah. No, no. I didn't know that these things could change. So yeah. So that brings me to the topic of local elections, which I think are so important. And, you know, one of the things that President Obama was talking about is that elected officials, they appoint, um, you know, in the current like um, environment that we have now, policing is such a big topic. And so elected officials, they appoint the police chiefs who set the policing policies and conduct and talk, you know, talking about that. And so can you, they, they don't always have the hype um, around them that, you know, the high paid advertisements, the national elections do that you see every freaking five minutes. <laughs> and you're mm -hmm. like, Oh, my God, mm -hmm. I can't I need to turn this shit off. But so can you talk about mm -hmm. some of the ways that local elections, um, you know, can impact your everyday life? Um, I would argue that local elections impact your life way more than the national elections. Like, when it comes to national and people who are in federal policy, they're thinking 10, 20, 30 years, 50 years off. They're not thinking about tomorrow or um, next year. And that's what your local officials are for. Like your town council is like that issue that you're having with the potholes, that issue that you're having with the lights or like, you know, um, kids uh, safety or the school board, things that are happening in curriculum. Those are all local elections. You have your school board that has to, everything to do with the schooling system, including hiring the superintendent who hires teachers, who sets policies for schools and what kids are learning. And educates um, and, your children, and right? And educates yeah. your children. You want to know that this person actually cares. Like, what if you have a special, need, special needs child? Like, are you 
or do you have someone or do you have a rep any representative that cares about making sure that the um, budget is there for those children um, and school lunches and all types of things like that's definitely one hand and then you have city council who I mean everything like they do local taxes um, they have a lot to do with the types of policies that affect what your house is worth. They have a lot to do with, I mean, like, like I said, like the roads, the potholes, things like that. And then as you go up, um, it's essentially the same thing, but just on a broader scale, you have state elections that also have a lot to do with like, um, if you're a state worker, like your pensions and where that money comes from, mm. what taxes you have. Um, what property taxes look like, whether they're going to go up, what your sales tax looks like. I know a lot of people, I'm talking about taxes because like. They matter where we live, girl, <laughs> on the Northeast <laughs> corridor. They matter. Yeah. Um, but not just taxes, but everything that's available to you. Um, you think about like, so one of the big things uh, that has been in this, the news space uh, for the past few years is healthcare. Um, the state determined whether or not they accepted money from Obamacare and how someone gets Medicare and Medicaid changes drastically from one state to the next. Um, also, what requirements to get um, social programs. I know that in some states, they give you more of a percentage for your unemployment than they do in other states. Mm. Um, and that affects everyone that loses their job. That's not right. a Democrat or Republican thing. And I right, think that that's, right. yeah, that's, that's important. <laughs> but think about this, not even just that, like you lose your job, you are looking for unemployment, but you're also looking for food stamps. In some states, um, they say, you know what, we're going to do the investigation, but you you're, we need to help you now. So we're going to give you this emergency fund, you, this emergency money for the next couple of weeks while we do the, the background. Now, if you lie, you got to pay us back our money, but we'll, we'll do the check afterwards because we want to make sure you have something to eat or your children have something to eat. In other states, they don't care. <laughs> like you can be 30 days, 60 days, you're starving. Like, you're just like, no, we have to make sure we do all of this. Like you are probably a criminal just trying to game the system. Um, and to me, that's like, it depends on where you are and it's not, and it's not necessarily great. Um, we talked about healthcare education still too, also statewide. They set the regulations, like who goes to school, when they go to school. Like for example, up here we had um, during the pandemic when the school shut down. So a lot of local school districts decided to shut down earlier and it wasn't until the state set the shutdown that other schools didn't close. And so you think about like the number of cases per county and how that changed based off of what schools were able to close earlier and what schools wait for the state. But all of that is affected by who you vote for in your state assembly and your state senate, like who you vote for governor, like it changes drastically kind of, it can change drastically how your life looks from day to day. And um, some people say, well, I don't notice a difference. Well, you might not notice the difference because you have uh, the same person who's been in all of the same offices for the past, you know, 20, 30 years, you have people staying in the same offices or they're passing down their seats to people that they know, in which case that means that, you know, policy isn't going to change. Like your yeah. life isn't going to change if you have people who are just there and just have never left. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And really then, important. Yeah. And so, I mean, if we look at, um, you know, what happened in Minneapolis, 
um, with the murder there of the unarmed black man and the slowness that it took to charge the, the person that murdered George Floyd. So is, how does, how are, how are local elections, how does that, how is that impacted? So don't they appoint the DAs? Aren't like a lot of DAs appointed or are they elected? It's a mix, right? Um, so it, you're talking, I think you're speaking in the case of George Floyd, who was the person killed in Minneapolis, you're talking about police chiefs. DAs is like a, a job, like you start as a public offense, uh, defender, um, after you get out of law school and then you can kind of work your way up to become the district attorney. In some cases they are elected in terms of like the federal court, mm-hmm. uh, but in, in some places you no, the DA for the most part, I think, is kind of like a job that you work your way up to. Chief, oh, of okay. police is, chief of police for sure is appointed by the mayor. But I do think that you should put kind of like a little asterisk or a little quotation around that because like the police is a whole nother animal. Yeah. Like a lot of times like the mayor can't even get elected without uh, support from the police force. So like, is it really the mayor choosing them or is the oh. mayor kind of doesn't have a choice? Okay. The police union is for sure um, probably one of the strongest unions that exists in this country. Um, they are very good at lobbying and they're very good at controlling their power. And so that's why you can see sometimes that we have chief of police or commissioners who have been there in 10, 20, 30, 40 years. It doesn't matter who's mayor, whether a Democrat, Republican, conservative, law and order, it's the same chief of police. Um, And that's because like, you know, they're the type of people that like you fire my man, then, you know, I'll make sure you never get elected again. Or Mm. I make sure that, you know, we don't provide security um, when you go to certain places. It it can be real crazy. I know it sounds very conspiracy theorist, but But it's real. Yeah, (laughs) this is real. And we're seeing it playing out right now. I mean, I think that we're, we're, I mean, I think there's so much attention on law enforcement now that I hope that, you know, policies change because it's, there's a lot, there's a lot to dissect for a different day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But I I know a lot of people (laughs) Like to think like, oh, no, you can just fire them or you can just they don't. That's part of the reason why some of this stuff takes some time. It's because of the union. There are all these rules about, you know, what how someone gets fired and if they can get fired. Can you imagine like you're at your job and, you know, you do some egregious thing at your job and, you know, the boss is like, I you're kind of dangerous, but I can't fire you just yet. I'm like, that doesn't happen to the rest of us. Like, yeah. you mess up, you lose your job. Yeah. Like, you murder a person and you still have your job. Like, that is, oh, yeah. like, I mean, thinking at it outside of the context of being a police officer, that is insane. Like, yeah. to any other profession, that is insane. Yeah. Um, so, moving on to, like, voter turnout and discrimination, um, two separate topics that are kind of, you know, in, in the same bucket. Um, mm-hmm. So how does redistricting and gerrymandering impact our political process and access to resources? Because you always hear the term gerrymandering, but people don't right. know what that means. What does yeah, it mean? So <laughs> it's crazy because like gerrymandering began as a way, as a good thing, right? Um, so what gerrymandering is, is So for every district, and I'm blanking on the number, for every district in the country, no matter what state it is, it's cut by the number of people in it. Um, 
I want to say the number is 459,000. Um, it might be different now based off of the population, but it's something in that area. And that's how many people are in a district. Gerrymandering is when you cut that district. So basically we create the boundaries of that district to make sure that there is proper representation for everyone, basically as a population as a whole. So what started as a way to make sure, like for example, people of a certain socioeconomic status had a representative or people of a certain race had a representative um, became something to control um, which party stayed in power, if that makes sense. And so what used to be like, in a lot of places, 459,000 means that you'll have um, a few people who make, you know, over $100,000 and you'll have like a few people who make under 50 and then you'll have, uh, you know, a few people who are like in the middle, right? And I'm using just economics as an example, it could be anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and what would, what would happen is like, whoever wanted to, like the people with 100,000 um, would inch out the number a little bit more. So let's say there were 51% of the population and they would vote somebody who would act in their own interest, which means that everyone else basically didn't have a representative. They're in this district. They can't really, just because of the numbers, they can't really vote somebody who has their interest at heart. And so they're kind of screwed unless they end up in a different place. And so what they would do is like kind of cut those districts so you have more people in the 50 and under um, so that they can have their own person who Mm -hmm. looks at their issues because their issues are different, right? Um, And I know they used race a lot, like back in the day used to be, you know, for African-Americans, there would be in districts or kind of like live in places that weren't necessarily exact square. So they would cut up these districts that look real crazy just to make sure you have um, African-Americans were able to vote for someone um, that represented their their district. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what gerrymandering is, is basically cutting it up so to make sure that it represents the state or the territory as much as possible um, now. Yes, now. The person who's setting yes. it she, She's putting her hands together ready to preach here, guys. She's, she's now, about to give us a lesson. That was the intention. The intention was that, like, oh, you know, we have these great people, like, you know, they're judges, they're this special commission, and they, you know, they love the people and they want to make sure everyone is represented. So they're going to cut it up in a way that's fair. That is not what's happening anymore. They're cutting it up in a way where, like, listen, you know, I need to have more of this kind of person in office. So I'm just going to cut up the districts to make sure that they all have 51% or 60% of this particular demographic of person people. And demographic, again, it's not just a race thing. It could be socioeconomic. It could be education. It Mm -hmm. could be all types of things. Right. And so um, you'll see where like in one neighborhood, like, you know, we've all been in towns where like one side of the town is like the nicest part. Yeah, and the other side of town is completely different, or like the other side, side of, of the tracks. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. they have more Hispanics, and then the other yeah. side has more Black people, or you know, all types of. So what people would do now um, is just cut it down the middle, and they're just like, well, now we have one for Black people and one for Latinos, where 
if they live in the same town, they probably have a lot of the same interests. So it shouldn't necessarily be a race thing. It might, should be, that's not correct English, but you get what I'm saying? It might be yeah. like a socioeconomics or like um, education or whatever. Um, and so you have people who are just, just have, humans are flawed and they have bad intentions. And so, which is why if you haven't done your census, I know, I don't even know if the pat deadline has passed, but please fill out your census. That's how we know how many people are in certain places and who they are and what kind of resources and money and how we, how we cut up those districts too. Yeah. And so I guess like, you know, you hear, you hear people using it in a, in a negative way. Oh, my dog is in the background. This, this at home <laughs> recording is, <laughs> we talked about it at the beginning of the podcast. Oh no, noise distractions. You just chewed up a pair of my shoes, like my favorite sandals during this recording. And I had to <laughs> at calm. Um, anyway, I digress. So like, I think Republicans are are most famous for, you know, recent gerrymandering. So what is the motivation there? Like when, when they're doing. Yeah. I mean, Republicans are very, like, they don't even try to hide it. Like they're like, we want to be in power now and we want to be in power forever. So we are going to cut up the districts to make sure that we have more people in Congress across the country than anywhere else. We're going to cut up the district to make sure that we can get more representation, even though we might have less people in our party. Yeah. Which is, you know, you'll hear a lot of people say, oh, there are way more Republicans than there are Democrats. In fact, that's not the case. There are not more Republicans or Democrats. There are actually more independents than either of them. So there are lots, there are a lot more people in the middle than on either side. And so, but it can make you think that that's the case because if you're cutting them up in a way that you have way more members that are way more districts that are likely to go um, Republican, then it looks like there's more of them. Um, we we don't have this on a ship, but this has to do also with like why it's important that we have a, you know a balanced Senate and and you yeah. know justice and all that part because they 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 um so people can't do people those the, yeah, yeah so people can't do those things but they also appoint judges in local districts and things like that so yeah. it's, Republicans are known for and they really don't care and they don't really feel bad about it at all. They're just kind of like, we no want guilt. to power. <laughs> no we don't guilt. care how it's done. Even though they'll claim that, oh, the Democrats do it too, when that's not necessarily the case. I'm not going to say some Democrats don't, but like they're very like, it's a coordinated effort to yeah. make sure that local um, districts and areas um, look a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. Act a certain way rather. Okay, so voter turnout. So it is not particularly high in this country. The U.S. trails most developed countries in voter turnout, according to the Pew Research Center. Belgium, Sweden, and Denmark top the voter turnout list. Woo woo! <laughs> in the two, all the places that I want to live. <laughs> in the 2012 mm. presidential election, 62% of Americans turn out to, turned out to vote. Why do you think that is? Why are we missing well, so many people? Be, it used to be a lot less. I think the turnout has gotten a lot better in the last maybe 10 years or so. Um, first off, in a lot of other countries, election day is a holiday. So See, no one it has is to so whack that it's not in our country. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I would say that's, that's first off. Like it's, it's, people don't have to go to work. Kids don't have to go to school. It's like, you know, 
so that doesn't preclude people from being able to go vote. That's usually one of the biggest reasons a lot of people yeah. vote. Whether I mean, sometimes a lot of it is apathy, like they don't um, see how it affects them, which we talked about earlier. Um, but also it's like the ability to go vote. Like if the polling stations are only open from like seven to six and I have a seven to three um, or let's say seven to eight and I have a seven to three shift, and I have to pick up my school, my kids right after that shift and make sure they get to wherever they have to go and eat like that seven to eight, like just doesn't work for me. Yeah. So right? why do you think like, what is the motivation of like why politicians don't want to make it a holiday and make it more accessible to people? And is that like, I, I feel like I know the answer behind this, but I'm going <laughs> to let you tell the people. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, you know, you don't get my biased ass opinion. <laughs> well, there, there have been some experts that have said that, like, um, I like voter that. turnout. <laughs> some experts that have said I mean, I, I didn't look up any specific names, but it's kind of common knowledge in politics that yeah. turnout all usually benefits Democrats, right? Yeah. So people who are going to vote usually have an idea of who the candidates are. Um, and since most people are working class in America, they tend to vote with the person who makes more sense for working class values, you know, like, you know, once you research and get a look at who these people are and how they stand on policies, uh, the average American tends to vote Democrat. And so you'll see a lot of what we call voter suppression um, from the Republican side. They use um, voter fraud. I'm sure we've heard everyone has heard about how everyone apparently there's all of this ridiculous fraud all that's a rampant all over america we don't have much proof of it there might yeah. be i think the number is something like very low, low. Yeah. It's like super super yeah. low of voter fraud and a lot of times it's people who may have moved and ended up like voting in the wrong district or people who died or something like that and something got messed up but like very rarely is someone going in to say, I want my candidate to win. So I'm going to fill out all of these fake and change these things. Like yeah. it's, it's really just not that easy to do that. There's so many people watching um, on both sides. Um, also, just as a clue, when you go to vote, there are people who are both Democrats and Republicans there. Yes. So they're both watching everyone. Yes. Like, like, so this idea that like, oh, people are just going in and changing. I was like, everybody has their own candidate and everyone has their own candidate or their ideas is there so this idea that people are doing this just seems kind of ridiculous um it's not at scale so you have people who uh, they talk about voter fraud um they don't want to extend the number of days that people are allowed to vote so you have places like ohio and north carolina which kind of have a longer voting period to account for people who can't just go to vote in one day so you have um early voting where you have maybe two weeks in some places, a month in some places where you can go in to these designated areas. Yeah, I and think in Oregon. Yeah, in Oregon, I want to say they have mail-in ballots because I'm from Oregon. And yeah. I want to say they have mail-in ballots and maybe early voting. Like, it's just, yeah, yeah. access. Well, mail-in ballots, everyone has it. Everywhere has mail-in ballots. So, like, um, when I lived in D.C. for a portion, I worked for a member of Congress. So my technical, technically, I still lived in New Jersey. I just happened to be in D.C. for work. And so I was still registered in New Jersey, but I couldn't go to New Jersey on a Tuesday to vote because I got a job. So yeah. I would do mail-in ballot, ballots. 
Um, it was crazy. I had gone 10 years without ever voting in a voting place um, because I had been living in a whole bunch of different places for short periods of time. So I had done mailing ballots for a long, long, long time. Trust yeah. me, I know how these things work. It's not <laughs> as crazy as these people say. So most states have mailing ballots. Um, you have places where they try to preclude certain people from voting. We know like in, New in Florida recently, um, they allowed felons to vote. So what used to happen is if you went to prison for any particular reason, um, when you came out, you weren't allowed to vote. Yeah, which is just... And, <sighs> I mean, technically you paid your dues to society. You yeah. were punished, you went in and you came out and now you can't say anything. Like you have no say in elected officials who affect prison conditions, who affect the reasons why people commit crimes, opioid epidemic, all types of things. And you can't vote anymore because you went to prison. Um, and not, we're not even touching on the fact that there's a whole lot of people in prison who should not for be the prison. wrong reason. Yeah. Like we're not, yes, yeah, they didn't do it again. <laughs> that would be a, like a two hour long podcast. Right. Right. And so like, does it make sense that these people who have paid their debt to society come back out trying to be better people and they can't vote either. So in Florida recently, um, they've allowed felons to vote. And, you know, certain people are just kind of like, oh, they shouldn't be able to vote, but why not? Like, do you have a really good reason for why they can't vote? Yeah. Um, I believe in redemption. And I think it's important for people right. to be a part of the political process. Right, right. Everyone changes. Everyone grows up. Everyone has circumstances in their lives that changes who they are and how they think of things. And this idea that people who come out of prison can't um, be... Uh, smart about who they vote for, I think it's a bit really uh, ridiculous. And it's also really dangerous. Who wants to have like a whole portion of the population that's completely apathetic because they're not included? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I agree. So voter, so I want to talk about voter turnout for young people because mm -hmm. vote. So for voter turnout for ages 18 to 29 years old has historically been low. However, mm -hmm positive side, glass half full. We're seeing a shift recently. In 2018, 36% 30, of young people voted nationwide in the midterm elections, a large jump in turnout compared to the two, 2014 midterms, where only 20% of the 18 to 29-year-olds voted. Um, that's according to the U.S. Census. Do you think politicians do enough to engage young people? Um, it seems like Obama really, like his I feel like his win was attributed to oh, yeah. how much his campaign engaged young people. Yeah, I would say, I was going to say like, that's when it all started to change. And when I got into, po I, I, I'll admit, I got into politics during the Obama era. Like I was freshly new to voting. I had just turned um, 18, I was maybe 19 for his first elect election. And so, no, actually I was maybe 20 for his first election. And so I was just like, oh, I'm in there. I had been involved before for other things, but like, I didn't take it as seriously. Again, like, I just wanted my extra credit, like didn't really think too much about it. But Obama was, it was the first time someone actually spoke to someone my age. Um, and I do think that that was the beginning of how, why people are um, in our generation as millennials who are more involved in the process. It's like, you got us hooked early and I was just there. Like, we don't really know what it's like to not vote or not be aware. Also like social media and just the access of information. It's hard to like, I'm not 
pay attention or know what's going on. Um, and I do think that like, there's a really big problem with kind of like standard or traditional politics where they just say young people aren't going to vote. So we're not going to engage them or we're not going to put too much work in them. They want too much. It's the same generational divide that we see kind of in business and workplaces. Um, and, you know, we all know people who have been different generations of us. Like it's that same divide. Like people get into office and before Obama did it, people would say it's impossible. Young people don't care. They're like, out there partying, having a good time, like trying to figure out what life is like. Like they just don't care. Um, that's, you know, young people don't care, young people don't care. Um, and so Obama proved people wrong. And I do think that now it's not just a matter of people not wanting, wanting to engage. They just don't. And I find that like, to me, it's so hilarious because I'm like, we're really not that complicated. You're making it seem like this is astrophysicist. It's just physics. It's just like, you know, do the right thing and, you know, we'll probably get engaged. Um, so I do think that a lot of politicians can do a lot to, to be more active with young people. I do think that people who are, have been more successful. You th I think of like Alexandra Ocasio. Yes. Um, I love her. Yeah. Yeah. Like she yeah. got a lot of people engaged. It's funny. I'm a Democrat, but I, I'm not a huge fan of her. Uh, um, so. <laughs> that's okay. I'll be a fan. See, and, yeah. that, and see, we can have different points of view, and that's right. Right. Of, yeah. I'm not a huge fan of her, but like, I could not deny that she was able to engage young people because she cared. Like, and yeah. she is one of us. She is part of our generation, and, and so she like, is really one of the people because she used to be a bartender, right? Right. Yeah. Right, yeah. She used to be a bartender. She's young like she speaks our language and i do think that a lot of times when people are in politics for a long time they don't just have a hard time speaking to young people they have a hard time speaking to people in general yeah they don't <laughs> answer questions like right. i used to work at the news hour with jim lair it's now the pbs news hour and so obviously i would watch a lot of interviews and a lot of politicians would be interviewed and it was like answer the damn question like it was like they had their talking points and they were going to go by their talking points like regardless of what question was Listen, asked this is the thing with politics i get it and i also understand their frustration as like a person who's kind of like can you just answer the question it's not that hard i think that when it comes to politicians like you can't guarantee anything yeah and so I think it's really hard yes. for them it's like if i can't guarantee it then i'm not going to say it yeah maybe they um, should just say that think, <laughs> yeah you, you would think right but yeah you can't i don't know how people would take that and whether or not they'd be in their office for very long yes. but think about again uh, uh, alexandra ocasio like we so ocasio cortez um we saw her saying a whole lot of what she was going to do when she first got into office she had never been there. She had never been in office. She didn't know what it was like. And she had all of these promises. We have not heard any promises from her since she got her orientation and she finally figured out how these things work. Okay. <laughs> not to say she doesn't care, but like. She knows. Yeah. She knows. Politics is a lot more than just saying what you think people are going to want to hear. You have to be able to do it. And being able to do it has to do with, you know, being able to create alliances yeah and you can't move a people. ship by yourself you have right. to have everyone involved in that process or as many people as you possibly can and so yeah. you know, so I so 
I think right now, you know, I've had, I've been on phone calls all week, like trying to figure out how people make a difference. Like, what can I do? I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm white. And so I think I want, I want to be an ally. I want to be an active ally. And one of the ways that I have been encouraging people is, you know, know your history, get in, you know, vote, get other people to register to vote. Um, because I think that that obviously is such a part of the, the political, an important part of the political process. So how can people get more involved in the process of voting and just the political process in general who want to be more involved, but don't know where to start? Well, this is the thing. It doesn't have to be that complicated. Like you can decide <laughs> that what you're going to do is talk to the people around you. And that's yeah. being involved in the political process. The volunteer at, you know, a local government's office, maybe might need some help. Depends on what you're interested in. You might be really into nature. And so you want to help volunteer on committees that create policy about the nature around you. That's being involved in the political process. Like going to school board meetings is being involved in the political process. And you might not be able to go there physically, but you can at least listen. Um, and for the people who can't listen, you can tell them about what they heard. If you want to be involved in elections, um, all of that is volunteering. All the people you see at the poll, they're not getting paid. They're volunteering their time to go and help and make sure that this runs the way that um, it's supposed to run. Now, if you have a particular candidate that you're interested in, you can also volunteer for them. You can make phone calls. You can um, you can make phone calls. You can knock on doors. You can donate food. You can donate space. Like I worked on a campaign, and let me tell you, like people donate in all kinds of ways. Um, sometimes people on holidays, when people knew that we had to work, they would invite us to their barbecues and say, you can come and do voter registration here because I have a whole bunch of my young nieces and nephews who are going to be coming in and they haven't registered. And you know, I think it's great if they come and they hear from you. That's part of being the process, being in the process. It, it's not as cumbersome as yeah. people try to You don't have to run for president to make a difference. Right. <laughs> to make like, a difference. Yeah. I think one, yeah, one thing I've been telling people is that impact your sphere of influence. So for me, it's like making history lessons on Instagram and Facebook um, and doing this podcast and like wherever, and then just having conversations with people that, that might disagree with me on Facebook instead of like saying that they're an idiot. Like I'll try to like be kind and engage them even when I feverishly and aggressively disagree with what they are saying and it angers me, I will try to engage them. And so I think that that's also like another way too. So, okay. Last question. <laughs> Cause we can talk all day. If you are not registered to vote, where do you go to register to vote? Another thing that is super, super, super easy, like you can go to the post office, you can go to the DMV, you can go if you have, if you get WIC or Social Security, the offices for that, you can get voter registration. Basically, most places that government is, you can get it there. That's if you want a paper one. And believe me, don't worry about um, if someone's going to steal it or blah, 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 if you send it in the mail, because it's kind of a federal crime and you can go to jail for doing that. So if people want to do that, they can go ahead, but I don't think the pokey is worth that. Um, <laughs> and 
you can also do it in person. There's every county has an election board or an office of elections. You can go and do it, fill it out there, and they register you there on the spot. In some places, you can register the day, the day that you vote. In some places, you have to register early. You can go online, go to vote.com. Honestly, Google how to vote, and yes. 100 pages come up. And I know because I did it right before this. And I was like, you can also check your registration to make sure it's current, which I highly, highly, highly suggest. Um, one thing that's been happening a lot across the country is that they're purging the rolls because of this supposed voter fraud. Uh, fraud. So let's say you vote every four years. They might think that actually maybe this person doesn't exist because they haven't voted in four years. Not the best logic, but all of a sudden your registration doesn't exist. Or you move or your name changes, all types of things that can happen, and you, or you need new ID, you need ID, or you didn't have the proper ID, so they kicked you off. So make sure you can check, you can go online, you can go to vote.org, you can go to usa.gov, the government has a site. Just um, Google. You can go to rockthevote.com, <laughs> their org. There are tons and tons and tons of organizations that are um, more than willing to help you. Actually, you can go to individual campaigns. So if you know that there's a campaign offense for any candidate at all, like from city council to president, they will register you to vote. They're not going to ask you who you're going to vote for. They might now. They might try to encourage you to vote for who they who they are saying to vote for, but you know, they'll register. They'll have the forms there. Yeah. yeah. I should speak for Democrats. I know for sure Democrats will have the forms there. I, okay. I don't I haven't worked on a Republican campaign. Um, but more than likely you should be able to get there. And you don't have to tell people who you vote for. You don't have to feel guilty. You can be a Republican and go to the Democratic office and get yourself a voter registration. You ain't got to say nothing to them. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Katrina. I appreciate you. Um, I just want to have a little a little note um, that you know th that you may have heard some audio challenges. I don't know what the hell is going on with Zoom today, <laughs> but just roll with it. We're in a global pandemic, you know, and and this is and this is what's happening. So I hope that people, you know, even through some of the audio bumps that we've had on the 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 call, that people were still able to capture most of the conversation. Um, and hopefully when I, when I hear the recording, it's, it's not that bad. So <laughs> anyway, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much, Katrina. Like I said, you can, um, follow along, um, at the Savage Notes on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And on their Instagram page, there's links to all of her podcasts. Um, as always, you can find me at tallhungrygirl.com. And my podcast, Tell Hungry Girl Talks, is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the places that you can find your podcast. So until next time, everyone, thank you. Ambard. Ambard.